0: Chapter twenty six of Gunside Pass How Oil Came to the Cattle Country and Brought a New West by William McLeod Rain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain Dave Accepts an Invitation Crawford and Dave, with their prisoner, lay out in the chaparral for an hour, then made their way back to Malapi by a wide circuit. They did not want to meet Shorty and Doble, for that would result in a pitched battle they preferred rather to make a report to the sheriff and let him attempt the arrests of the bandits. Reluctantly, under the pressure of much prodding, Miller repeated his story to Sheriff Applegate. Under the circumstances, he was not sorry that he was to be returned to the penitentiary, for he recognized that his life at large would not be safe so long as Shorty and Doble were ranging the hills. Both of them were bad men, in the usual Western acceptance of the term, and an accomplice who betrayed them would meet short shrift at their hands the sheriff gave crawford a receipt for the gold after they had counted it and found none missing the old cattleman rose from the table and reached for his hat come on son he said to dave i'll say we've done a good day's work both of us were under a cloud now we're clear we're going up to the house to have some supper applegate you get both of the confessions of miller fixed up won't you I'll want the one about George Doble's death to take with me to the Governor of Colorado. I'm taking the train tomorrow. I'll have the District Attorney fix up the papers, the Sheriff promised. Emerson Crawford hooked an arm under the elbow of Sanders and left the office. "'I'm wondering about one thing, boy,' he said. "'Did Miller kill George Doble accidentally or on purpose?' "'I'm wondering about that myself.' You remember that Denver bartender said they had been quarreling a good deal. They were having a row at the very time when I met them at the gate of the corral. It's a ten-to-one shot that Miller took the chance to plug Doble and make me pay for it. Looks likely, but we'll never know. Son, you've had a rotten deal handed you. The younger man's eyes were hard as steel. He clamped his jaw tight but made no comment. "'Nobody can give you back the years of your life you've lost,' the cattleman went on. "'But we'll get your record straightened out anyhow, so that won't stand against you. "'I know one little girl be tickled to hear the news. "'Joy always has stuck out that you were treated shameful.' "'I reckon I'll not go up to your house tonight,' Dave said in a carefully modulated voice. "'I'm dirty and unshaven. "'Anyhow, I'd rather not go tonight.' Crawford refused to accept this excuse. No, sir, you're coming with me by gum. I got soap and water and razor up at the house, if that's what's troubling you. We've had a big day, and I'm going to celebrate by talking it all over again. Dad, gum, my hide, think of it, you solemn-face old owl. This time last night I was most a pauper, and you sure were. Both of us were under the charge of having killed a man each. Tonight... "'We're rich as that fellow crocus. "'Anyhow, I am, and you're hated that way. "'And both of us have cleared our names to boot. "'Ain't you got any red blood in that big body of yours?' "'I'll drop into the Delmonico and get a bite, "'then ride out to the jackpot.' "'You will not,' protested the cattleman. a here, Dave. "'It's a showdown. "'Have you got anything against me?' "'Dave met him eye to eye. "'Not a thing, Mr. Crawford.' no man ever had a better friend anything against joyce no sir don't hate my boy keith do you how could i then what in hell ails you you're not parlor shy are you say the word and we'll eat in the kitchen grinned crawford i'm not a society man sanders said lamely he could not explain that the shadow of the prison walls were a barrier he could not cross and they rose to bar him from all the joy and happiness of young life. "'Who in Mexico's talkin' about society? "'I said come up and eat supper with me and Joy and Keith. "'If you don't come, I'm gonna be good and sore. "'I'll not stand for it, you darn old killjoy.' "'I'll go,' answered the invited man. "'He went, not because he wanted to go, "'but because he could not escape without being an ungracious bore.' joyce flew to meet her father eyes eager hands swift to caress his rough face and wrinkled coat she bubbled with joy at his return and when he told her that his news was of the best the long lashes of the brown eyes misted with tears the young man in the background was struck anew by the matronly tenderness of her relation to her father she hovered about him as a mother does about her son returned from the wars "'I brought company for supper, honey,' Emerson told her. She gave Dave her hand, flushed and smiling. "'I've been so worried,' she explained. "'It's fine to know the news is good. "'I want to hear it all.' "'We got the stolen money back, Joy,' exploded her father. "'We know who took it, Doug Doble and that cowboy Shorty and Miller.' "'But I thought Miller, he escaped. "'We caught him and brought him back to town with us.' Crawford seized the girl by the shoulders. He was as keen as a boy to share his pleasure and joy better news yet Miller confessed he killed George Doble. Dave didn't do it at all Joyce came to the young man impulsively hand outstretched. She was glowing with delight eyes kind and warm and glad That's the best yet. Oh, mr. Sanders isn't it good? His impassive face gave no betrayal of any happiness he might feel in his vindication indeed something almost sardonic in its expression chilled her enthusiasm more than the passing of years separated them from the days when he had shyly but gayly wiped dishes for her in the kitchen when he had worshiped her with a boy's uncritical adoration Sanders knew it better than she and cursed the habit of repression that had become a part of him in his prison days He wanted to give her happy smile for smile, but he could not do it. All that was young and ardent and eager in him was dead. He could not let himself go. Even when emotions flooded his heart, no evidence of it reached his chill eyes and set face. After he had come back from shaving, he watched her flit about the room while she set the table. She was the competent young mistress of the house. With grave young authority she moved slenderly graceful. He knew her mind was with the cook in the kitchen, but she found time to order Keith crisply to wash his face and hands, time to gather flowers for the center of the table from the front yard, and to keep up a running fire of talk with him and her father. More of the woman than in the days when he had known her, perhaps less of the carefree maiden, she was essentially unchanged was what he might confidently have expected her to be emerson crawford was the same bluff hardy westerner a friend to tie to in sunshine and in storm even little keith just escaping from his baby ways had the same tricks and mannerisms nothing was different except himself he had become arid and hard and bitter he told himself regretfully keith was his slave a faithful admirer whose eyes fed upon his hero steadily he had heard the story of this young man's deeds discussed until Dave had come to take on almost mythical proportions. He asked a question in an awed voice, "How did you get this Miller to confess?" The guest exchanged a glance with the host. We had a talk with him. Did you oh no, we just asked him if he didn't want to tell us all about it, and seems he did. Maybe you touched his better feelings, suggested Keith, with memories of an hour in Sunday school when his teacher had made a vain appeal to his. His father laughed. Maybe we did. I noticed he was near blubbering. I expect it's adios, Signor Miller. He's got two years more to serve, and after that, he'll have another nice long term to serve for Robin's stage. All I wish is we'd done the job more thorough and sent some friends of his along with him well that's up to applegate i'm glad it is said joyce emphatically any news today from jackpot number three asked the president of that company bob hart set in to get some supplies and had a note left for me at the post office miss joyce mentioned a trifle annoyed at herself because a blush insisted on flowing into her cheeks he says it's the biggest thing he ever saw but it's going to be awfully hard to control where is that note i must have put it somewhere emerson's eyes flickered mischief oh well never mind about the note that's private property i reckon i'm sure if i can find it i'll bet my boots you can't though he teased dad what will mr sanders think you know that's nonsense bob wrote because i asked him to let me know Sure. "'Why wouldn't the secretary and field superintendent of the jackpot company "'keep the daughter of the president informed? "'I'll have it read into the minutes of our next board meeting "'that it's in his duties to keep you posted.' "'Oh, well, if you want to talk foolishness,' she pouted. "'There's something else I'm going to have to put into the minutes of the next meeting, Dave,' "'Crawford went on. "'And that's your election as treasurer of the company. "'I want officers around me that I can trust, son.' I don't know anything about finance or about bookkeeping, Dave said. You'll learn. We'll have a bookkeeper, of course. I want someone for treasure that's level-headed and knows how to make a quick turn when he has to. Someone that uses the gray stuff in his coconut. We'll fix a salary when we get going. You and Bob are going to have the active management of this concern. Cattle's my line. I aim to stick to it. Him and you can talk it over and fix your duties so's they won't conflict. Burns, of course, will run the actual drilling. He's an A-1 man. Don't let him go. Dave was profoundly touched. No man could be kinder to his own son, could show more confidence in him than Emerson Crawford was to one who had no claims upon him. He murmured a dry, Thank you. Then, feeling this to be inadequate, added, "'I'll try to see you don't regret this.' The cattleman was a shrewd judge of men. His action now was not based solely upon humanitarian motives. Here was a keen man, quick-witted, steady, and wholly to be trusted, one certain to push himself to the front. It was good business to make it worth his while to stick to Crawford's enterprises. He said as much to Dave bluntly. "'And you ain't in for any easy time, either,' he added. "'We've got oil.' We're flooded with it, so I hear. real thousand dollars worth a day is running off and seeping into the desert. Bob Hart and Jed Burns have got the job of putting the lid on the pot. But when they do that, you've got a bigger job. Looks bigger to me, anyhow. You've got to get rid of that oil, find a market for it, sell it, chip it away to make room for more. Get busy, son. Crawford waved his hand after the manner of one who has shifted responsibility and does not expect to worry about it. Moreover, and likewise, we're shy of money to keep operating until we can sell the stuff. You'll have to raise scads of Mazuma, son. In this oil game, dollars sure have got wings. No matter how tight your pockets are buttoned, they fly right out. I doubt whether you'll have chosen the right man, the ex-cowpuncher said, smiling faintly. The most I ever borrowed in my life was twenty-five dollars. You borrow twenty-five thousand the same way, only it's easier if the luck's breaking right," the cattleman assured him cheerfully. The easiest thing in the world to get a hold of is money, when you've already got lots of it. The trouble is we haven't. Well, you have to learn to look like you knew where it grew on bushes," Emerson told him, grinning. I can see you've chosen me for a nice lazy job. Anything but that, son. You don't want to make any mistake about this thing. Brad Steelman's going to fight like a son of a gun. He'll strike at our credit and at our market and at our means of transportation. He'll fight 24 hours of the day, and he's the slickest, crookedest gray wolf that ever skulked over the range. The foreman of the D-Bar Lazy R came in after supper for a conference with his boss he and crawford got their heads together in the sitting-room and the young people gravitated out to the porch joyce pressed dave into service to help her water the roses and keith hung around in order to be near dave occasionally he asked questions irrelevant to the conversation these were embarrassing or not as it happened joyce delivered a little lecture on the culture of roses not because she considered herself an authority but because her guest's conversation was mostly of the monosyllabic order he was not awkward or self-conscious rather a man given to silence say mr sanders how does it feel to be wounded keith blurted out you mustn't ask personal questions keith his sister told him oh well i already asked this one the boy suggested ingenuously "'Don't know, Keith,' answered the young man. "'I never was really wounded. "'If you mean this scratch in the shoulder, "'I hardly felt it at all till afterward.' "'Golly, I bet I wouldn't tackle a feller "'shooting at me the way that Miller was at you,' "'the youngster commented in naive admiration. "'Bedtime for little boys, Keith,' his sister reminded him. "'Oh, let me stay up a while longer,' he begged. "'Joyce was firm.' She had schooled her impulses to resist the little fellow's blandishments, but Dave noticed that she was affectionate even in her refusal. "'I'll come up and say goodnight after a while, Keithy,' she promised as she kissed him. To the gaunt-faced man watching them, she was the symbol of all most to be desired in woman. She embodied youth, health, charm. She was life's springtime, its promise of fulfillment, yet already an immaculate Madonna in the beauty of her generous soul. He was young enough in his knowledge of her sex to be unaware that nature often gives soft trout pool eyes of tenderness to coquettes, and wonderful hair with the lights and shadows of an autumn-painted valley to giggling fools. Joyce was neither coquette nor fool. She was essential woman in the making with all the faults and fine brave impulses of her years unconsciously perhaps she was showing her best side to her guest as maidens have done to men since eve first smiled on adam dave had closed his heart to love it was to have no room in his life to his morbid sensibilities the shadow of the prison walls still stretched between him and joyce it did not matter that he was innocent that all his small world would soon know of his vindication the facts stood for years he had been shut away from men a leprous thing labeled unclean he had dwelt in a place of furtive whisperings of sinister sounds his nostrils had inhaled the odor of musty clothes and steamed food his fingers had touched moisture sweating through the walls and in his small dark cell he had hunted graybacks. The hopeless squalor of it at times had driven him almost mad. As he saw it now, his guilt was of minor importance. If he had not fired the shot that killed George Doble, that was merely a chance detail. What counted against him was that his soul was marked with the taint of the criminal through association and habit of thought. He could reason with this feeling and temporarily destroy it. He could drag it into the light and laugh it away. But subconsciously it persisted as a horror from which he could not escape. A man cannot touch pitch, even against his own will, and not be defiled. You're Keith's hero, you know, the girl told Dave, her face bubbling to unexpected mirth. He tries to walk and talk like you. He asks the queerest questions today i caught him diving at a pillow on the bed he was making believe to be you when you were shot her nearness in the soft shadowy night shook his self-control the music of her voice with its drawling intonations played on his heart think i'll go now he said abruptly you must come again she told him keith wants you to teach him how to rope you won't mind will you The long lashes lifted innocently from the soft, deep eyes, which rested in his for a moment and set clamoring a disturbance in his blood. "'I'll be right busy,' he said awkwardly, bluntly. She drew back within herself. "'I've forgotten how busy you are, Mr. Sanders. Of course we mustn't impose on you,' she said, cold and stiff as only offended youth can be. Striding into the night, Dave cursed the fate that had made him what he was. He had hurt her boorishly by his curt refusal of her friendship, yet the heart inside him was a wild river of love. End of chapter 26